This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Lions 24-7 podcast, and for the first time in 2019 season, we are here to talk about a Penn State loss on the post-game podcast. Sitting here uh, at Minnesota Stadium, which is now empty, but was recently overrun by fans on the field following their victory over Penn State. A Penn State no longer perfect due to a far-from-perfect performance, Sean. 31-26, to the Golden Gophers defeat Penn State. Uh, the Nittany Lions had some opportunities, knocked on the door of the end zone a couple times in the final quarter, uh, easily, uh, not easily, but certainly put themselves in a position to survive with a win, improve to 9-0, head back home with everything intact, did not happen, and uh, there's a lot of reasons why, we'll go through several of them, we'll sort things out through this first loss, but Sean, back in State College, uh, you watched the television broadcast, so our perspectives are certainly different from what I saw here uh, in the press box, but at the end of the day, uh, Penn State squanders an opportunity to stay perfect, and as I said, there were opportunities. There were certainly opportunities, and this is one that's going to leave a sour taste in the mouth of Penn State fans for a long time, with good reason. I mean, this is a team that, you know, you, you, looked, uh, you look superior to the opponent at different times, but really this is a group that was outplayed from the opening whistle. Minnesota, we talked about it uh, last week, believed in what they can do, and, and they were able to hit some some shots early. They were able to make some plays early that gave them the opportunity to, to, to buy into what they were doing and to continue that, and then to get into that style of play that they wanted to get into. Ryan Burns told us last week they want to get out, they want to get a lead, they want to bleed the clock as much as possible and make it happen. Everything went right for Minnesota, not so much. Uh, you can't say the same thing about Penn State. Yeah, well, both these teams end up with over 450 total yards at the end of this game. 518 for Penn State, 460 uh, for Minnesota. And Sean, early on, it looked like this was going to be like one of those first to 40 kind of games. Uh, the scoring stalled out a bit, especially from Minnesota's standpoint in the second half. But um, in the first quarter, uh, what you know, we, we talked about Tanner Morgan and how Sean Clifford has had faced tests that he had not yet faced. Uh, he took one on, it took the challenge on, and he was perfect for a long time, and he finished nearly perfect as a passer. If you were wondering who was going to have the Brian Lewerke Felton Davis role this year, it was uh, it was Tanner Morgan and Rashad Bateman, the fantastic wide receiver from from Minnesota. We're going to get to them in a little bit. Format tonight uh, was just sitting here trying to figure out something like that. So we're going to run down, uh, go chronicle chronologically. Then we're going to get into some talking points. I know everybody wants to uh, assign blame. I think we're going to spread out the blame. And I personally, I think there's enough blame to be going around uh, so that we can do that. But really, from the outset, uh, Penn State. Uh, Came out throwing, which, you know, kind of looked like it was going to work. Justin Shorter had a drop. Sean Clifford had a scramble. And then Sean Clifford went up top. And this is, uh, this is a, a tough one to call because Justin Shorter looked like he could have made a better play on it, but the, really a poorly thrown ball from Clifford. Uh, they pin, uh, Minnesota's pinned down. So, you know, essentially a punt. And it, it, it's not great, but it's, it's far from the worst case scenario, putting Minnesota, I think, on their sixth. 
Defense comes out. Micah Parsons does not start. They said it was a dis- disciplinary reason on the broadcast. We saw him come in in the second game, so it's just a not start. But Minnesota started hitting big plas- pass plays. They chunked up Penn State. That that would go on to be a theme of the game. And then they beat the blitz. Lamont Wade came on a blitz. He, uh, Tanner Morgan hits Rashad Bateman, 66 yards touchdown. Taylor uh, Garrett Taylor does not get over there in time, and it's 7-0 Gophers right away. Things did not start out in, in any way, shape, or form how you would have drawn it up for Penn State. We, we spoke about this on the pregame podcast uh, on, on Thursday, Sean, about uh, the ability to come in here and see some momentum because, you know, it, it is, you know, 51,000 or so in here. But when they got momentum going, you could feel the energy in this building. And when Penn State punched back, things quieted down and, and Penn State was not able to come out and, and assert itself like we have seen them do. Um, in Big Ten matchups uh, across the way, um, and Sean Clifford, a big part of that was the, you know, the interception to start out the game. Uh, as you said, targeting Justin Shorter twice on his first two pass attempts, Shorter drops that first one, not the way you want to start, a kind of a tone-setting way ultimately for Shorter and for that ex-receiver position on the day here at Minnesota. Uh, and as you said, uh, the ball that was thrown downfield wasn't well placed. You know, Shorter was not in position there. Um, and, and Tanner Morgan does the rest. He comes back and he shows that he was ready for this moment. Um, and it was the start of a really incredible first half for the redshirt sophomore Gophers quarterback. So our first talking point, and I guess you can call it the blame game, Penn State's defensive backs uh, were really off their game today. And it wasn't it wasn't just one thing. I know Tariq Castro-Fields was not good, but probably not as bad as you think. He did a lot of handing off. The safeties, in, in my opinion, were were lost a lot of the game, did not get over there. We mentioned the Garrett Taylor play on the, the long touchdown to Bateman. They didn't get where they need to be. Safety slow to react. The Minnesota's RPO gave Penn State trouble in the first half, which is interesting because uh, on our second podcast last week, Week, we talked about how Penn State could do that to, to, to Minnesota to make it work to, to, to drop the ball over uh, over the second line of the defense and get 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 some chunks like that. Minnesota had a lot of uh, a success doing that. The freshman I thought played fairly well. Keaton Ellis had a a, a forced fumble, his third of the year. Um, but at the end of the day, those veterans uh, they, they struggled. I mean, it was uh, these guys have played a lot of football out there. John Reed, Tariq Castro, Fields, Garrett Taylor as well. Lamont Wade's still probably not in that category yet. But I mean, it's just a it was tough to watch these defensive backs. And if you're gonna you know if you're gonna cut this pie up, this this blame pie up, uh, a chunk of that's got to go to to this defensive backfield because they were not there. And they were you know you look at Tanner Morgan numbers, which I'm sure you have in front of you, man, they were not there. On Tuesday afternoon, James Franklin at his press conference right around 1230, uh, while discussing Minnesota in his opening statement, um, really quickly went to this wide receiver group, called it the best they have had to prepare for. And by 1230 local time here in Minneapolis, we were going into halftime, all three of their top receivers, Rashad Bateman, Chris Ottman-Bell, and Tyler Johnson, all three of them had scored touchdowns in the first half. Uh, Tanner Morgan in that first half, you know, th- three scores. He had two incompletions. Um, and, you know, he finished with two incompletions. Uh, we can just look into that real quick. Uh, he's a guy who, who, you know, 18 of 20, 339 yards, those three touchdowns all in the first half, as I said. And, and Bateman became the first Minnesota receiver, and I think it was more than, uh, you know, 25 years, the second all time to exceed 200 receiving yards in a single game on seven catches. Tyler Johnson went over 100 yards receiving on seven catches. And as I said, Upman Bell with the touchdown uh, of his own. Um, so, yeah, this was something that they knew they were going to have to answer the bell. And James Franklin said the way that Minnesota uh, came out and the way that they attacked Penn State 
really prioritize their ability to win one-on-one matchups. And for a guy that I, on our podcast, have repeatedly touted as a player I think is going to be uh, you know, an NFL scout favorite down the line, Tariq Castro-Fields uh, really uh, got exposed quite a bit today in the spotlight. Not his finest performance and one that I'm sure he's not excited to go in and watch on Sunday. So if you're keeping score at home, uh, defensive backs get to get a check in the box for uh, for, for the blame game. So you, you put Minnesota uh, in a good position. I mean, you, you're certainly on alert. You know, this is not a trap game anymore. Um, you go in, you give Minnesota a little bit of confidence. They're a team that can build on that. They're a team that believes. Or, I mean, really, it, it, it's such a cliche, but this is a really uh, team that reflects uh, its coach and P.J. Fleck. And, you know, this is uh, an emotional guy. They sort of rolled with it. But that's, uh, you know, that's fine. Um, Penn State struck right back. I mean, they, they, they did a nice job. They stuck to the run. Journey Brown with a 45-yard touchdown uh, against really what, at that point, you're watching the game and you see this Minnesota defense try and stop Journey Brown and Journey just runs by them. They, they look like a slow defense and you thought maybe that Penn State would get rolling and and, and get going. Um, it, it was a, a Fryermuth had a big t- a third down, t- excuse me, a third down catch on that drive. Um, and then you're at 7-7, so you're at a good spot. But uh, you give the ball back to Minnesota, and this defense, once again, chunk plays. Three passing plays over 18 yards, including a 21-yard tunnel screen to Ottman Bell, who just sliced through that defense uh, and scored the touchdown, putting uh, Minnesota up 14-7. And, you know, you, you look at the Penn State problems that they've had this year with this defense, and there haven't been a ton of them, but pressure, uh, you know, one-on-one coverage battles, and tackling in the open field, and they all struck on this drive. Yeah, Tanner Morgan, those first two possessions, Sean, five of five passing, 148 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, this is a Penn State defense that we have repeatedly pulled out the E-word, elite, and we've, we've tagged it to this team. They're coming off of a bye week. We understood the challenge that this passing game presented. The, the stats have told the story for this team. The results have been there for the Gophers uh, with their quarterback, Tanner Morgan, and the wide receiver group. But from what we've seen of Penn State, you're willing to put them up against just about anybody in the country and give them a chance. And to see them get sliced and diced like Tanner Morgan did early in this game, it was pretty jarring. And, and it really gave you a, a pretty early glimpse that this is not going to be uh, you know, Minnesota uh, rolling over and letting Penn State assert themselves as some kind of dominant force. You know, Penn State was going to have to make some adjustments. And Tanner Morgan uh, was going to have to be knocked off his game, which ultimately really never happened. That's true. Uh, Penn State came back with a field goal. They still got to run the ball. Journey Brown, I think, had a 39-yard carry to start that drive. Penn State took a bad delay of game in the red zone. Of course, knocked themselves back a little bit and had to take three points instead of seven. Not the end of the world, but you know, at the end of the first quarter, you're looking at 14 to 10. So. Roll out the first quarter scorecard. Penn State with one turnover. That's going to be a theme here. Seven points off that turnover for, for Minnesota. Zero punts in the game, which means the field position really not that uh, you know not not that vital to the the battle so far. 199 to 155. Minnesota held the edge. Here's where the difference was. Sean Clifford two of eight for 43 yards. Tanner Morgan six of six for 153 yards. Uh, I mean that's uh, that's not that's not good. Not good on the road. So uh, no, Sean Clifford was not good against Indiana or excuse me uh, against Iowa on the road. Um, in you know to start the game once again we saw that uh, theme come true again. 
And the difference between the Iowa game and this game was he turned the ball over. And then that led to points for Minnesota. And, and really quickly going back, you're going to hear a lot about Journey Brown this game. And, and quite frankly, you know, he didn't really want to talk about himself individually in the locker room uh, or outside the locker room when we got him after the game because he was more concerned about uh, his team rebounding from this loss. But uh, Journey Brown had 15 offensive touches today and he produced uh, 140 yards with those. He had a couple touchdowns. He averaged about nine yards per carry and he got 14 of the 17 carries given to running backs freshman Devin Ford got the other three which just quickly leads me to say Noah Kane uh, we saw him in pregame warm-ups he was in full uniforms he was going through individual running back drills he was uh, and it stuck out he was lingering in the back when they were fielding kickoffs with the kickoff specialist uh, so he wasn't involved there and then when they got into team sets and, and we're going through final tune-ups for the matchup he was an observer, which which led us to kind of expect him to be absent. But he was on the field. If you followed our coverage beforehand, it looked like he may be ready to roll. Clearly, that wasn't the case. And Journey Brown uh, was as much of a, a bell cow with 14 carries, of course, as we've seen from really any running back at any time on the, uh, on the season so far. Yeah, Journey Brown looked good. I mean, there's there, there's spots that you can find positives from this game. I think Journey Brown looked good. He looked like he could move um, that first touchdown. I mean, it looked like other guys were running in cement, but Journey made a nice move, came back, and and really did a nice job. Uh, you move on to the second quarter. Penn State forces a punt, first punt of the game. Uh, Minnesota got a, a heck of a home field bounce on that, picked up, I think, 13 yards on the uh, on the bounce to put Penn State inside the 10. But, you know, Penn State's, you know, really, it's offense outside of the red zone, moved the ball very well picked up three first downs into Minnesota territory, and then the turnover bug strikes again. Uh, Antoine Winfield was a thorn in Penn State's side, especially in the first half. Uh, Sean Clifford lofts one up to K.J. Hamler. Yes, it's probably pass interference. Uh, tough, tough no call there, um, but it comes back the other way. This is going to lead us to number two, our talking point, Sean Clifford. Uh, we've, we've debated on the podcast pretty much after every game, and unfortunately, I think I was right on this one, <laughs> and that's uh, and I, I don't take any joy in saying that. But uh, Clifford, the Clifford that I feared may show up one of these weeks, did. Um, he he looked spooked from the outset, threw some lofting balls, some bad balls, and really, um, when you need him to step up and win this game, and he eventually did come back and settle in and did a really nice job. But really, put them in a hole against an eight no team, and that can't happen if if you want to keep winning. This is what you fear from a first-year starting quarterback. It's it's what he didn't do at Iowa, despite the ineffectiveness early. He certainly handled himself very well, and and, and the downpour that was at East Lansing, and then against Michigan, and in that situation, he came out hot as well. But this is what you kind of worried about along the way, and you know I, certainly I'm not going to defend Sean Clifford in, in this contest. I think his teammates will do that for him. His head coach will do that for him. I think he finished the game showing the kind of player he is. But in terms of decision-making, uh, there was some concerning uh, moments. And, and probably the most disturbing thing about, about his performance today was a lot of these errors, they were, they were him forcing the ball, and, and, and oftentimes to K.J. Hamler. And I understand they want to get the ball to K.J. Hamler, but there were a couple instances where you just wonder, what, what were you giving up on that play to give K.J. Hamler a shot against good coverage uh, and and let's face it KJ Hamler's a lot of things one thing he's not a, he's not a physical uh you know square you up and, and beat you for the rebound kind of receiver and strangely enough Sean Clifford tends to use him that way on occasion and a couple times it really bit him in the butt in this game 
He threw that pick. Uh, it was kind of a similar look that we've seen in the past in that he, he saw man coverage on K.J. Hamler. Of course, Antoine Winfield was over the top playing a little bit of cover one. Not really a, bra- a true bracket coverage, but he came over the top and made that pick. So, I mean, the smash fade is the read there, and that's what he went to. Um, I'm not sure what he saw from, from Winfield that made him throw that ball or at least loop that ball up where it needed to go. Um, so, yeah, Clifford's uh, accuracy, some of his decision-making, uh, some of his decision-making in the run game, which I'm sure we'll get into when we talk a little red zone thing, a uh, little red zone talk. Um, that's that that that's an issue. But yeah, just got too. You know, he got into that hole uh, right away. That throw to Justin Shorter. If that's a good throw, you know, it's either six or an incomplete pass. Which, given the alternative, how it ended up, uh, you know, you certainly would take that. Um, you know, he, he, he skipped one to Fryermuth and, and his hand was hit. Um, so I'll, you know, I'll give him, I'll give him that, but really there was a couple where he just kind of, uh, skipped it, skipped one to Dotson, skipped another one to Fryermuth. just was not on. And, and when you're not on, and he eventually did rebound and, and, and completed 14 of his last 20 and almost led that comeback, uh, all the way back. But, uh, when, when you're playing in a, in an atmosphere like that, when you're playing in a pressure filled game, uh, game like that against a team that if you don't extend the drive, if you don't keep going, they're going to milk the, the hell out of that clock. That's exactly what happens. And unfortunately, I think Clifford's been dangerously close to that all season. Um, not, not every game, but, uh, you know, at times. And it, it came back to bite him today. And give Minnesota some credit here as well. I mean, there are, there are games that Clifford could have dealt with this. And we've seen him kind of work his way into a rhythm over the course of a game. Because of the opponent, perhaps Penn State's able to clamp things down. Uh, he can lean on that. Then he gets going, and they're able to, to pull away from opponents. Minnesota is not that team this year. We wondered how good they were. It was like the first question that you asked Ryan Burns when he was a guest. How good is this Minnesota team? The team I saw today was pretty darn good. I mean, we'll see what they do the rest of the way. Uh, but they are 9-0 and for a reason, and they just had a huge statement game. And, and I think with Sean Clifford in this contest – um, you know, what stands out for me is, and, and it's something Kirk Herbstreit actually referenced when asked what, what is maybe missing from Penn State as they're trying to build a, a case to be a championship contender. You got to have something else in the passing game beyond Pat Fryermuth and KJ Hamler. I know we saw Jahan Dotson get involved. He had a huge catch on their final possession that put them in a spot to maybe take a late lead and, and come away with a dramatic win. But beyond them, I mean, we've talked a lot about guys not getting targeted at that X receiver position. Daniel George had a third down pass go right off his hands. It would have been a conversion and then some. Justin Shorter had a touchdown pass. I mean, what a moment that could have been for him. And, yeah, we've talked about the talent both those guys possess, and and, and we've wondered, you know, if Clifford is going to go through a maturation to where he's seen the field more openly. But, you know, right now uh, it's a concern. There is a very much kind of a top-heavy situation in what you can target. That's going to make it easier on your opponent, and, and that's going to make the game, you know, more of a narrow, narrowly uh, restrictive uh, focus for Sean Clifford. And it was really apparent at times today. But when he did take his shots to these guys, they didn't deliver, and all of a sudden you were getting shades of that 2018, 2018 team that just had the drop bug all season long. Hasn't plagued them right here, but in key moments today, Daniel George, Justin Shorter, as we've said, blue chip talent's coming in, but they've yet to turn that corner at Penn State, and it certainly would have been beneficial if either one of them could have managed to do that today. I agree. 11 targets for KJ Hamler, 10 for Pat Fryermuth, 5 went to George, um, Shorter... Let's see. Shorter had two official targets, I believe. I think he he, he probably should have had three on that uh, on this list, but very timid. And I think that's something that we've reported on Justin Shorter 
basically since you know he's coming off the injury is the lack of assertiveness the lack of stepping up and being a number one receiver that really showed up in a bad way today and that's uh that's something that's that's certainly concerning you mentioned the george drop uh they were basically going to dan chisena then eventually uh at that x receiver he had a nice catch then he had i won't call it a drop the defensive back made a really nice play but uh you know he is just not getting much from that uh from that side so it's just basically any receiver not named hamler or farmu and then to an extent, Jahan Dotson uh, really did not help out Sean Clifford today. So that's uh, that's a killer right there. And, and really, when you take a look at the game and you take a look at these overarching storylines, it's uh, Minnesota's wide receivers stepped up in a big way. They won those battles. They went out. They were assertive. They did some great things. Penn State. Hamler and, and Fryermuth did a great job, but really you're, you're still looking for that third and fourth guy, and it's uh, it, it's tough to uh, it's tough to get past that when you got when you when your opponents are stepping up and making those plays, and you're not, uh, especially on the road. That's uh, that's a problem. Also worth mentioning, how many of those catches that Fryermuth and Hamler came down with were contested? I mean, those were some difficult catches. KJ Hamler is not a big guy, as I said, and and he he was getting bounced around a little bit trying to reel in the ball and. To his credit, he pulled in the ball consistently. Same with Pat Fryermuth. But what was the difference? Minnesota, these guys were up in space. They had room to maneuver. They were tiptoeing on the sidelines. It was a remarkable contrast in the way the Minnesota receivers were able to find room and their quarterback was able to exploit that versus Penn State's uh, pass attack where everything felt like it was in a tight window and oftentimes it, it wasn't there. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus getting back into the game uh, we kind of folded our first two talking points into the into one uh, defensive backs were number one Sean Clifford was number two getting back into the game another chunk play a 38 yard touchdown to Tyler Johnson it's 21 to 10 Penn State then the three and out bug hits uh, we know that's been an issue with them the last uh, month of the season and all of a sudden you're giving it back and uh, you got a chunk pass and a chunk run from Minnesota and then Penn State steps up makes a stand you know they dodged a bullet uh, one of those two com- two incompletions for for Tanner Morgan he overthrew a receiver in the end zone as Lamont Wade was trying to get him one-on-one and sort of a fade uh, on a third down, but you limit them to a field goal. You get your stop. It still didn't feel out of reach at this point, and that's a, a good thing for Penn State. I mean, you kind of looked at, at at some of the factors that they had going for them. You looked at Minnesota's defense. You thought it's not the fastest defense in the world. You can get around that. You can make some things happen. So Penn State gets the ball back, put together another solid drive, and they get inside the ten. Uh, this will eventually be a talking point, but it happened enough that we could we could move it down the uh, move it down the rundown. Clock management strikes again. Penn State spikes the ball on first down with. 
with 19 seconds left. You just, I, I, I don't get it. Uh, this is one thing that, uh, you know, it, I, I know you got to stop the clock, but w- with the college rules, you get time to get up there. You see what look you can get. Maybe you take a shot in the end zone. You, what, what do you save yourself uh, two or three seconds by doing that? So you spike the ball, you take first down away, you make a dangerous throw to Nick Bowers from that funky formation that I think we've seen at practice every week, and it fools the scout team every time, um, but really didn't really fool Minnesota all that much. So you, now all of a sudden you're at, uh, you're at third down, you go with the QB draw, not crazy about that call either. I, I kind of get it because you got the timeout. You know they've had success with that call before. Um, you you maybe take that uh, make it a make it a four down territory type thing, but instead you settle for three. You take the field goal. And by the way, I don't have a problem with them keeping the points on the penalty. Uh, I I understand the argument, uh, but I think in a situation like that, you go into the half down eleven. I think it's a lot better than going down in the half uh, down fourteen, especially when you know what's coming from the Gophers in the second half. I think you have to take the points and head to the locker room. Otherwise, you 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 set yourself up for maybe a disastrous play, to the, and, and it gives Minnesota even more momentum. And it felt like, although they were down by eleven, Sean, it did feel like maybe Penn State had refound some footing. You know, driving down the field, um, it, it wasn't the prettiest situation there at the goal line for them, but they came away with those three points. And you know, we we know how this Penn State team can get on a roll offensively and string together touchdown drives. He also, even at that point, even even though Tanner Morgan had completed three touchdown passes in the first half, you're still thinking, okay, let's see what happens when this Nittany Lions defense comes back out of the locker room. You think they're going to give the offensive a shot to mount some sort of comeback. Before that second quarter, second quarter scorecard, Penn State had one turnover. Minnesota scored seven points off of it. You're about even in total offense, but Penn State did that on 25 plays. Minnesota did that on 12, which comes back to the chunk plays. So you're down 11 at the half. You're moving the ball fairly well. The defense got to stop. You know Minnesota's coming out to bleed the clock, and, and so you got to stop the run. And whenever you know you have to lean. Uh, you know, toward one level of that offense, whether it be the run or the pass, you're a better defense. So they came back, they force a, a Minnesota punt, but the Gophers were still kind of dictating things. Uh, they punt, they, they pin Penn State back, another three and out, right in the, you know, Blake Gilligan was punting from the back of his end zone. And then, you know, some fortune happens for Penn State. They get a turnover, Keaton Ellis gets the strip, Shaka Tony recovers it, and then all of a sudden, you, you go back to your bread and butter, a lot of KJ Hamler on that drive. Leads to a touchdown uh, pass to Nick Bowers. So, I mean, all of a sudden, things are things are looking pretty good, and it's because you forced that turnover. Good-looking drive. And, and, by the way, Bowers reached the end zone, but let me first give a little bit of credit to Fryermuth. I think he had uh, five catches today, all of them moving the chains, four on third down, one on fourth down, uh, including on that drive, which gave Bowers a chance to reach the end zone. And that set up, uh, you know, Sean, what was certainly an interesting topic of conversation in the post-game press conference, and that was Penn State's decision to go for two. Yeah, that's a that's a math decision. I I get it. Um, I'm not sure that uh, that I would have done it, but I I don't think it's a decision that end up ends up losing you the game or getting you out of the game. Um, it's just one of those things you take a chance on, especially the way that you're moving the football. Now the play call, but you know Ricky Slade hasn't had a ton of success this year. You put him out in a little bit of space. He he takes one false step, and all of a sudden he gets closed down on. So I mean that's uh you're you're, you're chasing points. It comes up short. I don't have a huge problem with it. I get the 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 reasoning before uh, beside it. I don't know that I would have done it, but and by the way, I want to go back to that Nick Bowers touchdown pass. That was a really really well drawn up play. Uh, Nick Bowers came right up the middle. Clifford just popped it right over the top, and and, and really a nice play. Penn State's tight ends, I think, played pretty well today. 
Um, you'll probably reflect on Nate ba- or excuse me, <laughs> Nick Bowers, sorry, Nate's cousin, uh, Nick Bowers uh, block on the two point conversion play. But I think that was more on Ricky Slade. So all of a sudden, you know, you're you're kind of back in it, 24 to 19 at this point. Uh, again, you know, Minnesota gets the ball back and, and you get chunked. I mean, you, you're really not expecting them to pass the ball, but passes of 23, 13 and 36 to end the third quarter. Um, and that's going to get us into our next ta- our next talking point. And, and this is probably the first three quarters more so than the fourth quarter. But Penn State's lack of pass rush. We talked about it as a key last week, getting into the the face of Tanner Morgan, getting a push on that defense or that uh, offensive line. And quite frankly, they didn't get the job done this week. The the term dagger you usually save for very late in the game, but that final stretch of the third quarter was. Pretty ominous. I mean, uh, for, for for the Nittany Lions and, and their circumstances, and it kind of illustrated Minnesota's not buckling under pressure. I mean, so Tanner Morgan, incomplete pass, an eligible man downfield. So you're looking at either taking a third and six uh, or a, a second and 11. And, and and James Franklin opted to take the second and 11. You get a two-yard pass. You're in a third and nine spot. And it was a BB from Tanner Morgan right where it needed to be to Rashad Bateman, who we said went over 200 yards. Tiptoed again, 36-yard gain to the four-yard line. And for, for that to be the way the third quarter ended, it gave this crowd a chance to exert itself again. And it just really, again, I thought it was a, a, a really impressive punch back from Minnesota because you wondered, uh, you know, when they were facing, you know, if Penn State gets a stop there, it really felt like the, the momentum switch was going to be complete. And to Tanner Morgan's credit, to the Golden Gophers' credit, uh, and, and, you know, people are going to point to should they have just, Kept the wipe the penalty off and taking a third down situation and give them one shot and the defense one chance instead of two plays. Uh, I don't know that the, you know, Franklin gets paid the big, big big bucks to make those kind of decisions. Uh, didn't pay off in this situation, and you got to credit Minnesota though for pulling that off at the end of the third quarter. I think the decision went back to, to Minnesota special teams, which has been bad. I mean, you want to push them back as far as possible, try and either knock them out of field goal range or make it a tough kick on them. So I get why he took it. I mean, you can we can play this game all day in terms of uh, of guessing which one he should have done, but really it just came back to uh, Minnesota making the play and and, and Penn State's defensive line uh, for for as great as it's been. Of course, they missed Antonio Shelton today, although it didn't really show up, uh, you know, as much as you may have thought it would. Uh, again, it was kind of that 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 game that uh, it was kind of like the Buffalo game for. Uh, for Minnesota's rush offense, they got up. Uh, it felt like they were running for more than they ran. They, they finished with 121 yards on the ground for the game, and it kind of felt like more than that. Um, but they really stuck to the run. They really did a nice job there. But uh, that defensive line didn't get home. Just one sack on the day, uh, I believe, for for Penn State, and that was uh, that's not going to get it done. And Micah Parsons, what a sack that was! One of the bigger plays of his young career at Penn State so far. It was a major one that they needed to get the ball back uh, in the offense's uh, possession. And, and really quickly, Rodney Smith, who all-time all-purpose yard leader for Minnesota, 18 carries, 51 yards. You'll take that. I thought they did a nice job on the ground, like you said. But it wasn't just not sacks. There was not much pressure. It wasn't like wow, they missed on a bunch. There was a ton of hurries. Tanner Morgan, way too comfortable, a lot more comfortable than I thought he'd look. One of the reasons I, I stated that I've had Penn State win this game by 10, I just thought they'd be able to get after him over the course of the game, and it just never really materialized. And that's pretty startling considering the depth, the speed, and just the pure talent that Penn State can send at you on the perimeter. Um, it just didn't come from inside. It didn't come from outside. And and to Micah's par- to Micah Parsons' uh, you know credit, he came up with that huge one, but 
man, you were, it was really lacking today and it was very glaring as the game wore on because uh, Morgan looked like a surgeon out there when he had time and, and too often he did have just that. Minnesota schemed to get the ball out quick and then they identified when Penn State went with man coverage and kind of chucked it up there and let their receivers do their job and they did it and that's what happens I mean it was kind of like watching a Don Brown defense especially against KJ Hamler a couple of weeks ago where you you identify that coverage and you go right at it and and Minnesota made the most of it just a couple of incompletions today for Tanner Morgan he was fantastic Um, but yeah it was tough Uh, Penn State's I'm sorry, Sean. They, they they countered Penn State's speed, uh, physical speed with with timing. I mean, the, their timing was tremendous. Give their offensive coordinator and their staff credit because they came up with an answer at every turn to what Penn State might want to send after them. And as James James Franklin said after the game, this wasn't really a game where Penn State was allotted opportunities to apply pressure. And it goes back to you know, there was a failure to cover downfield time and time again. Penn State's starting defensive line, 11 total tackles, zero tackles for loss. That's not going to get it done, especially when when you're counting on them as four to get some pressure to get around the quarterback, at least be a nuisance to the quarterback. I believe it was Shaka Tony that had the big hit uh, on the ball that popped up in the air where Brisker got uh, undercut and got hurt. Uh, that's, that's a tough missed opportunity, and you can't hold it against anybody. The, the receiver went up and made a play um, to knock Brisker out of the way, and of course there's no pass interference on that. So, I mean, it's just kind of uh, dumb luck that it doesn't bounce into one of your own guys' hands, but uh, yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's really tough. So, Sean Shaka Tony also this play is probably going to get wiped. It is wiped off the record books because of how it ended. John Reed got a pass interference uh, along the sidelines, and it was a key one on third down. Shaka Tony bench pressed uh, Minnesota's tackle essentially into Tanner Morgan. Probably the biggest collision he took um, over the course of the game, except when Micah Parsons got him. But opposite of Shaka Tony. You know, a guy that we've talked about being, you know, maybe the best player on this team, maybe the best NFL prospect, and a game where you really needed him to step up and make some kind of authoritative presence, uh, Yitor Grossmatos did not deliver on that t- today here in Minneapolis. You're right. I, I have here that he disappeared uh, again almost. Uh, two tackles, one of them solo, really no pressure, really no, uh, you know, getting to the quarterback to speak of. Uh, you know, some of that has to do with scheme, but, uh, you know, others, it's just he was, he was ineffective. So you got to you gotta say that uh, they've, they've had better days. I think they will have better days. But when that, uh, when, when that defensive line or that front seven is not getting pass rush, you, you see a lack of complementary defense. Um, it's going to reflect on those defensive backs. It's going to reflect on everybody and it's really the story of what happened today uh I, I honestly i know a lot of people are going to be calling for ricky ronnie after this game um you know i don't obviously don't uh, completely agree with that but uh the, brent pry i mean you, you gotta have, you, this is not the best game he's ever coached i think you could say that so i think you, you know if you're looking at, at at gripes for this one penn state gave up 31 against an offense that you know made some plays but still you don't think of them as you know you look at what, what penn state's gone up against this year you don't think of minnesota as the team that's going to score the most points against them um so i mean brent pry did not have his best day Minnesota scored the most points against them than any team in the season by halftime. I mean, that's how kind of uh, uncharacteristic of a performance that we saw from from Penn State today. And and this is a defense that I think you could characterize it as kind of one, you know, cohesive unit. It always feels like someone has each other's back, but from the start, it, it just felt disjointed today, Sean, and, and that stood out really for much of the game. So if we go through, go back to the third quarter scorecard, uh, Penn State, uh, where are we at here? They got a turnover. They got six points off of it. Minnesota, 10-20 of possession. I mean, not not tremendously effective drives at times, but uh, you know they got the clock moving. 
milked every single bit of that clock that they could and they did a nice job and and really by the end of the game and we'll get to that uh, it seemed like it might come back to bite them but uh you know they ended up getting the job done but they did hit that big play before the fourth quarter minnesota comes out uh inside the five i believe um you know you hit the uh you hit the touchdown to set up the or to make it 31 to 19 to start the fourth quarter still really didn't seem out of reach um but then penn state marches right back down the field they have four first downs on five plays and then they get inside the 10 again and this is uh this is the story uh, in my mind this is the story of the game this was the first of three consecutive possessions for penn state that went inside the red zone went inside the 10 with with everything to gain and, and this one was probably the most puzzling to me um, you see two devin ford runs i'm a big fan of devin ford uh had not really seen him utilized during the game except for that moment on the ground so a curious time to bring in a running back into the fourth quarter who's just kind of been, you know, standing around and since pregame Jer- warm up. Journey Brown had a short catch on that and he came up and he called for a sub at that point. So I don't think it was in the plan to get Ford in there, right. but, but, but Brown came up a little hobbled. So I see why Ford was in there, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you a hundred percent on this one. So uh, you, you got first and goal at the Minnesota nine, two Devin Ford runs, and then uh, a, a tough one to stomach here. You got KJ Hamler coming on a jet sweep motion. Clifford keeps it. You got to think the option was there to give it to, to Hamler, loses a yard, and then all of a sudden you got fourth down and goal, and then you come back with a fade to KJ Hamler. Um, and I, now I, I, it looked like he went, he was going to Fryermuth on the slant first, but uh, you know there was a lot of there was a jumbled mess kind of in front of him, so it didn't really work out. And then you went up top to Hamler, maybe as a second option. But man, you got to think of throwing in your five nine receiver a fade in the corner as a very low percentage play. And I know Hamler's made some really terrific plays during his time, but boy, that's uh, to come away with zero points. That's a wasted drive in a time where time is scarce. Time is very precious. And that one, talking point number four, Penn State's play calling inside the ten. We talked about it at the end of the first half. You talk about it here. You end up getting. Three points from those two drives. You're going to get back to it uh, later in the, in the quarter. So just the inefficiency inside the 10. Penn State just four or six in the red zone today. That's the killer, man. That's uh, that's the one that I point to. And, and we've got talking points here with the D-backs. Sean Clifford, lack of pass rush. Number four, play calling inside the 10 is what did it. And I was a big fan of the game that Ricky Ronnie called outside of the red zone. When they got into the red zone, it's a different story. It's it, it's one that 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 he's got to have back because that was not that was not ideal. There's no doubt about it that when you look at this offense and the weapons it has, Hamler is is option one. Maybe you can say one A and one B with him and Frymouth, but he is at the top of that pecking order. Today you saw the jet sweep come out, uh, uh, and, and and you know it worked to to an extent earlier in the game, but I thought. In that spot, going, you know, faking the horizontal, you know, a lateral uh, run with with Hamler. And then Clifford, it wasn't like the offensive line didn't give him time. It just kind of looked like a muddled mess a a bit. Um, And he did not have a shot on on that jet sweep action. And and, he's taken down. That throw, though, to Hamler... You see all the uh, the options out there, and I'm not saying anybody was blatantly open and available for him to just hit a strike, but I tell you what, KJ Hamler in that spot, the way he was defended along the boundary, and again his size, KJ Hamler can't control it. He didn't, you know, sprout to be six foot two in high school. It just was baffling. It, it, it almost felt like a throwaway, and to see that on fourth down, down by twelve, it it, it felt like. Maybe not the final, but the first nail in the coffin that was driven home. And, and you realize Penn State's defense got, has got to put it together or they are toast. And, and that, that felt like a squandered opportunity. And, of course, if you 
don't go for two, or I'm sorry, if you do get the two-point conversion, then you maybe kicked it. You probably kicked the field goal there without question. And so you start to piece all this stuff with the hindsight being 2020, um, and 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 the points add up and all that. But yeah, that would that was a uh, it was a pretty spectacular drive for them to get down there. I thought it was a really nice response uh, going down 31-19. They put together a well-paced drive. Uh, Sean Clifford looked sharp. And then they got inside the 10, and like you said, it, it's just uh, everybody looked like they were scratching their heads out there, and, and all of a sudden, uh, they were not the same offensive attack. Yep, that uh, that's it's, it's killer, man. I mean, that's uh, you. So you go into the the, the excuse me, you go inside the 10, the end of the first half, you spike the ball, you throw a pass, you run a quarterback draw and kick the field goal. Okay, now you, you run the ball twice, and then you have a quarterback, uh, not really a quarterback draw, but a quarterback run, and then the fade to Hamler. It's just, it's tough to stomach. I mean, it's just, uh, I know that they've they've had success in the red zone earlier this year, but I don't know that that's the way to, that they've done it. Uh, would have liked to see him go back to Bowers. We talked about how ineffective the X receivers, but I think Nick Bowers could have really helped them out there. Uh, but we can Sean, Sean, I do think it's worth noting that it felt like this, I mean, that's where Noah Kane shines, right? I mean, that's where he finds the yards that other people can't find. He make he he pushes them into existence the way he runs, and he was not on the field today. And we saw what Journey Brown can do. I like Devin Ford. We did not see Ricky Slay get a single carry this afternoon in Minneapolis. That that felt like the absence of Noah Kane was felt in inside the 10 in those situations no doubt about it so you, you you waste that drive you come back you get you essentially get a stop to, you know the first and second down they go down the field on third down they you know you, you talk about how conservative they got in the second half they took a shot down the field john reed gets uh john reed really a victim of angles here uh the, the he, he got flagged for a pass interference i deemed it a weak call um, I would I would double down on that after looking at it. Um, really, it it was a catchable ball, so I don't think that was an issue. But the contact was just that's uh, a tough flag to throw in that situation. Minnesota bleeds four four more minutes off the clock. Penn State gets the ball back with six seventeen left. They picked up a couple of chunks with uh, the completion to Chisena. Uh, Fryermuth got one, and then Jahan Dotson set them up in the red zone. Uh, Penn State uh, didn't get a playoff, but they still ran the play anyway. Got the touchdown from Journey Brown. That was uh, you know one if you're talking. Talking to a Minnesota fan, and you talk about the <laughs> officiating in this game, they're going to bring that one back in your face, and you—they're right on that one because that, that that ball was not snapped. I guess there was another one that Minnesota got away with early in the game, but that's a that's a tough call to make, uh, and it's a tough miss for if you're a Minnesota fan, you're probably pretty mad about that one. So, 31-26, Penn State's defense steps up uh, once again. Their clock management, I thought, was was pretty good in the second half, and then all of a sudden, Penn State gets the ball back. It sort of has the look of this 2016 Iowa game. I'm sure that you know went through the head of a lot of our listeners and went through my head as well. Sean Clifford hits Jahan Dotson for a huge, huge gain. Uh, they like to go to that dig. They like Wait, to- Sean, time out, time out. We didn't even mention that. We didn't even know Sean Clifford would be back out for that final series. I mean, he handed the ball to Journey Brown for the touchdown. He goes down. He's grabbing his leg. We're up in the press box seeing a non-contact injury to the quarterback. Now, post-game, James Franklin says it was cramping issues, which makes sense. He looked like he was trying to stretch out his calf and he was available in post game. We spoke with Sean after the game, but he was on the sideline. He was in the tent. Will Levis is kind of pacing around, and you're wondering if they get the ball back, is Will Levis going to be the guy? And, and it was Sean Clifford, and he was clearly hobbled. So I just wanted to set the stage a little bit with that because you talk about the dramatics uh, uh, of, of some of these games in the Iowa game. 
this had all the storylines going into this final possession. No doubt about it. And uh, yeah, there was a big redemption story on the way. Uh, Penn State hit or Clifford hits Dotson. Dotson kind of tripped and fell. I, I think some some buddy said he slid. I think he kind of stumbled into that. Uh, some some footing issues on the turf all over the place today. Um, but yeah, you, you would have liked to see obviously Dotson score, but they didn't get there. They set themselves up in a good spot. Had a run by Journey Brown there. I actually didn't hate that call. Penn State had a lot of success running the football. Journey Brown especially had some success running the football. So given the time and, and the, the the space that you seemingly had to work with with the down and distance, didn't hate the call. It's just a yard game. But then they, they ran a really, really nice clear out route, uh, an option route to Journey Brown, got him down to the two, and then the Hankies came out. Uh, talking point number five, I'm not going to dwell on it. Uh, that's an absurd call. It's not even a rub route. Um, Daniel George uh, his own guy engaged him. They call offensive pass interference, and that's a game changer. And that's uh, that's a tough one to stomach if you're a Penn State fan. I, I was wondering if, if they'd have a conversation, maybe pick that one up. Obviously, as we now know, did not happen. And I love that that play call. I mean, I, I was going to set them up in such a good spot. It would have been uh, one one yard needed to to get a first down, and then you can, and then two yards needed to get a touchdown that would have put you in front. And that play, I mean, you go from third and one at the two-yard line to then second and 24 at the 25-yard line. I mean, you talk about a just complete alteration of the final moments because of that pass interference call on Daniel George. It can't be, it cannot be overstated. It is, it was just such a remarkable uh, turnaround and, and where it looked like Penn State was actually going to pull this thing off. Yeah, a lot of former players not too happy about that one. I mean, it's not it, it, it honestly you you run these pick plays and you try not to get caught and that I, I I'm not even sure I would consider that one a pick play. I mean, that's uh uh, that one's t- that's tough to go on, um, but uh, we're not going to spend much more time on that. So it's a game changer. Now all of a sudden you, you get the second down play, second and very long, kind of waste a play going to Daniel George. I don't think he was the primary read. I think they were trying to get the ball um, to see what uh, Pat Fryermuth could do down the seam. But then all of a sudden, you know, you go to Daniel George in the end zone, sort of waste a play there. And you go back to the dig on Dotson. Um, this is, you know, to, to finish up my talking point number five, if you're going to flag John Reed for that pass interference, which was you know a pretty weak call, you probably need to throw the flag here for consistency. The ball instead is picked off. Minnesota kneels on it, and that's that's your game. Dotson clearly thought he he was held there. I got a chance to watch the replay a couple times after the game, and you know, no surprise, James Franklin is not going to dwell on officiating, but um, he, he said that he felt like Pat Fryermuth was tackled. At the end there, I think he may have meant Jahan Dotson when he said that, but Clifford did confirm Jahan Dotson was his target there. I know it looked like it may have been Hamler who made the play on the ball, uh, but, but Dotson was was the go-to target on that play. Yeah, they went to the dig route, which they've had success with. They had the big uh, the big touchdown. I think it was against Purdue earlier this year on that, and they picked up a big uh, a big play tonight. They went right back to that. Uh, you know, you, you, you're grabbing with the ball in the air. I mean, whether you deem that pass catchable or not, that's that's got to be something. If you're going to play with consistency, that's got to that's got to be you know that's it would it would be not the not the uh, most convincing pass interference you've ever seen, but also not the weakest one you've ever seen. So um, that's a pick. That's ball game. Uh, Penn State really owned the fourth quarter, 195 yards to Minnesota's 11. Minnesota still had 720 of possession on 14 plays. That's crazy to think about how well they were able to sit on the ball, how well they were able to handle it. Uh, And the running game, as we mentioned, really wasn't there, but they milked every single bit of that. Um, And and really, when it comes down to Penn State, two crucial 15-yard penalties, and they had the turnover, which is the ball game. So 
um, that's uh, that's your your I guess uh, tour through hell. Everybody have that. fun. Yeah, Everybody. that's your it's your tour through the river sticks uh, of the Minnesota game. Um, we broke it down. I think there were five key points. We're not going to spend any time on the the officiating and the and the penalties because really Penn State put themselves in a position where those call you know you you allow that that those calls to impact or affect the ball game. So uh, wide receivers against defensive backs and and, and really trying to wrap it up here but wide receivers against the defensive backs a matchup won decidedly by minnesota sean clifford his first half dug a hole really couldn't get him there defensive pass rush just one sack for penn state on the day and then the play calling inside the 10 that's the one i'm going to keep going back to is is penn state in the red zone did not convert did not get what they needed to uh really you know when we're going through this uh this rundown it kind of sounds like the pit game you know penn state did come out on top of that pit game but I mean, you, you you seeing some of these issues that you saw earlier, and um, just in the same kind of spots, and that's uh, that's kind of troubling. I mean, you of course you come home next weekend. By the way, Indiana's a noon kick. Um, you coming home next weekend to play the Hoosiers, who are seven and two. But uh, you got to regroup, and and to me. It's not where this team was today. It's about how they respond to it, and that's going to be a big thing going into the uh, into next week. You say it sounds like the pick game, and the, what's the big difference? Well. These guys have PJ Fleck on their sideline, and and that those that team had Pat Narduzzi, and and there's a reason that PJ Fleck is like Franklin, hearing his name on these wish lists. Let's I I know we've talked a lot about what Penn State you know failed to do today. Let's also Minnesota had the game of their of of the century, and they may be the best in the program. They stormed the field at the end of this thing. They deserved to do that. And this is a Minnesota team that has everything in front of it. I think that they deserve a major leap in the college football playoff poll. I think they made the, the committee look pretty silly for putting them behind 6-2 lost teams at number 17. But again, this is a Penn State team that that now, you know, that suffers this loss, goes back home. And, and James Franklin said they have everything to play for. I'm inclined to agree that if they were to run the table, and that's hard to talk about after a loss and after poking holes through their performance, but they're not necessarily... In the worst spot, I actually had a conversation with, with another media colleague on the beat last night, Sean, and we just said, hypothetically, if Penn State suffers one regular season loss and wins all of their other games, is is this loss, and, and assuming they're both close losses, is this a better loss, quote-unquote better, or is at Ohio State a better loss? Because if you lose at Ohio State, you're probably not going to Indianapolis for the Big Ten Championship game. Look, this team has work to do. They got a lot of looking in the mirror to do. They've got three games left here. Indiana is not as much of a pushover as some people want to peg them as. Seven and two states that. But they've got Indiana, Ohio State, some other team at the end of the line to finish up with. And then they're going to, you know, see how the cards fall. But if they do run the table here, and that's a big if right now, they'll be able to go to Indianapolis and guess who they may face? The Minnesota Golden Gophers. And you get to 12 and one. With the win over the team that gave you your one loss, you got a pretty good case. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. I just want to say, people out there who are saying this team's destined for some kind of pinstripe bowl situation, let's see how it plays out. But yeah, this team certainly, we anticipated it. We all, we, you and I predicted it. Ryan Burns on Gopher Illustrated predicted a Penn State win. So I'm not letting them off the hook by any means. But I am saying an 8-1 and one start with the road that they have, the opportunities that they have, not going to be easy. But... Uh, it is within their control, and we'll see how they handle that responsibility. Can't believe you would break out the P word. Uh, that's uh, that's 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 not good. But uh, two top or two losses today in the top four. Alabama lost to to LSU forty six forty one. Now you're going to look at that score and say, hey, Alabama had the better loss today, no doubt about it. I see Penn State maybe dropping to. 
10, 11 in the college football playoff rankings. Uh, you know, just the way that they they ranked Wisconsin and Michigan earlier this week, you you can see that head to head certainly play, plays a role in it. So I can see Minnesota moving up to maybe nine or eight or something like that. But I don't know, man. Uh, you talk about running the table, but uh, watching this team today, watching Ohio State play, uh, that's that's a really really tough uh, tall order for for Penn State to try and handle. Didn't say I thought it was going to happen, uh, and I'm, I'm less pretty than, sure you you guaranteed it. So, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Start booking your trip now uh, for for Glendale. Now we'll see what happens, but yeah, look, Alabama got smoked on home turf today uh, against uh, against LSU, and all of a sudden we're viewing LSU in a different way, and Minnesota deserves to be viewed in a different way, and unfortunately for Penn State right now, they are going to be viewed in a in a drastically different way after after coming up here and suffering a loss and obviously Clemson's going to be happy about the outcome but uh we'll see where it goes we'll be back with a couple more episodes uh, I'm flying back to state college early Sunday morning this team already on their way back I'm assuming they've got some regrouping to do just to give you kind of a sense of the vibes around this program first off Franklin essentially had no voice left we have the whole Franklin press conference up online 24/7 we also have the entire media session with Sean Clifford up online 24-7. And if you want to know what this loss and what this team means to Sean Clifford, do yourself a favor, watch that entire thing. It's pretty painful because you can see this kid is hurting. Uh, But I will say, outside of maybe Trace McSorley in Ann Arbor last year after that just devastating loss when Michigan took him to the woodshed and McSorley was banged up, I don't know if I've seen a Penn State player who showed up and just looked so defeated and, and really, you know, willing to take on as much blame as he could. Now his teammates picked him up: Journey Brown, Pat Fryermuth, Robert Windsor. Uh, but but Sean Clifford, it's going to start with him. Um, very curious to see how Penn State responds because we talked all year. Those young team, they're rolling, they're confident. This is a new chapter for them. How do they respond to a moment like this? Uh, they got some egg on their face. God forbid they go check out their social media accounts or, or our message board it's a different reality for them right now. And I think we're all going to be wondering how they, how they face it and, and, and how they work through it because they're not getting another bye week to deal with it. All about the bounce back. We'll see, we'll see how they handle that. And again, I, I, I think I maybe downplayed Minnesota a little bit. They were fantastic. They came out and did exactly what they needed to do. Got, uh, got rolling, got uh, believing in themselves, did what, uh, did everything that they had to do and, and really played a, a terrific football game. So they deserve to be nine and zero. They deserve to be the team that's ranked higher this week. And we'll see how they handle the rest of the season because they control their own destiny in the big 10 West. Not as easy for Penn state. They get Indiana this week, you know, that seven and two record, uh, and I just said the same thing about Minnesota last week, but they played Maryland. <laughs> they, they, they played a similar schedule. I think it was uh, Rutgers, Maryland, Northwestern, and Nebraska. So a similar schedule to what Minnesota's done in the last couple of weeks. Maybe not as impressive as Minnesota has been in the last couple of weeks. So we'll see what happens with uh, with Indiana. But yeah, it's it's all about the bounce back. They get, they get back to Beaver Stadium. It's a noon kick. Was announced uh, earlier today, by the way. Um, so it's uh, it, it's all about how Penn State responds to this because there's still a lot to play for. Uh, just not uh, not really what you set out for coming into the day. Well, as the lights dim here at TCF Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, uh, I'll sign off on that. On behalf of Sean Fitz, who did a great job putting together the rundown from home base for this podcast, uh, we wish you well. Wish you a good weekend. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully it was therapeutic in some ways. Maybe it wasn't at all. But we'll be back with a couple more episodes next week. Get ready for the next game. Try to put the pieces together a little bit more on what happened here in Minneapolis and turn our attention towards the next Big Ten matchup. For now, stepping aside, this is the Lions 24-7 Podcast. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.